The gospel lesson is taken from Luke's gospel, chapter 15, and I will be reading verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. This is the gospel of Christ. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you always are with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The word of the Lord you may be seated. My text for today is the parable of the prodigal son. And this parable is also known, by the way, as to the parable of the two sons. 
the parable of the lost son, and even the parable of the running father. The parable could just as well be entitled the parable of the waiting father or the parable of the loving father. There are three characters in this parable, the father and two sons. Uh, no mother is mentioned. I'm sure the mother was there. No sisters are mentioned. I'm sure that there were sisters in the household. There certainly were many servants. The parable can be broken down into two parts. In fact, that is frustrating for the preacher because this parable does come in two parts. The first half has to do with the younger son, and the second half has to do with the older son. And the danger is that you'll try to preach two or three sermons in one. So I'm going to try to only pick up a few points uh, out of this parable for I, I'm sure that at least uh, someone like me even could, could find six or seven sermons out of this over the course of time. But uh, we want to concentrate particularly on the younger son and his situation. The first part then is concerned with the younger son and his father. The second part is concerned with the older son and his father. There are a number of accounts in the scriptures, of course, about the relationship of father and son and brother to brother. Uh, you can recall, of course, Cain and Abel and Ishmael and Isaac, I'm sure. And you remember the accounts of Esau and Jacob. And of course, not the least of which is that grand ending in the book of Genesis, where you have the relationship of of uh, Joseph to his father and Joseph to his brothers. The difference between these two brothers, though, is what we want to focus on in this parable. And it comes down to this. The younger brother, in the end, is able to call his father, father. The older brother, if you notice carefully, does not address his father as father, but he says, look, this is what you've done. That's important in the text. Jesus did not leave out the second father. Uh, he deliberately did so. Moreover, the father, if you notice throughout the story, refuses to be alienated from his sons. He calls them both sons. He even refers to the older son. He says to him, your brother. Now, these relationships are very important as we come uh, to this particular passage. The father then, the father then is really in many respects the center of this story. He is the focus of the parable. For he is the one who represents God, our Father in heaven, and God's attitude toward us. Now, it is indeed through Christ and through Christ only that we can call God truly our Father. And we are taught in the scripture, Jesus himself, in praying that we are to pray Abba, which means in Aramaic, of course, Father. We are to pray Abba. And those are the first if you will, mutterings of a small child to have that kind of relationship with God. And so when we come to the text, we see that this parable is a story about estrangement and reconciliation. 
estrangement and reconciliation. And let me say, I'm sure that this applies to you. This is an evangelistic sermon, but let me say it applies to every Christian. In every family, there is estrangement and the need for reconciliation at some points. It is very important, I think, that we understand how important reconciliation is and to not let things get out of hand in our families through alienation. This obviously happened uh, in this family for reasons that have nothing to do with the father, but for reasons that have to do with the dynamic between the older and the younger son at least. This family could be characterized to a great extent by estrangement. And you'll notice that this is what the parable is about. Look at verse 24. This son of mine was dead to me and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Notice verse 32. This brother of yours, referring to the older brother, he says, this brother of yours, the young one, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. So you see the parable is about the need for reconciliation to God. And notice the father's attitude throughout this. This is a real sense, a parable about the human condition. We are apart from God by nature and by practice. We are alienated, if you will, and we need to be restored. You know, one of the most important doctrines in the Christian, if you will, panoply of of teachings is this, that we are by nature and practice sinners. Now, some religions cannot admit that there is such a thing as sin. They may talk about shame. They may talk about uh, dishonor, but it's very difficult to talk about sinfulness. They may talk about suffering and they may talk about fate, but it's difficult for some religions to really characterize the human condition as one wherein Every human being is born into sin and practices sin. That's why there is so much alienation and warfare and strife. And it carries into every phase of our lives. So this parable, if you will, is while it is a microcosm of, two fa- of a family and two sons, we can look at it in the big picture, the macrocosm, as being an illustration of the need of every person on the face of the earth. This is a parable then about the sinful human condition and our need to be restored to God. It is a parable about God's initiative to extend his grace and his love to those who are altogether unlovely and unworthy of his love and favor. And as we go through this parable today, I want you to first see the lostness of the son. And in so looking at the lostness of the son, I want you to see in a real sense your own lostness apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The young son's lostness is our condition too, apart from Christ. Look at the young son's lostness. He comes to his father. I don't know how old he was. He had to be very young. I'm going to guess uh, mid to late teens. And he comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. Now, remember that in the Old Testament, the firstborn son was the major heir to the father. He received half of all of his goods. 
and the other half was distributed among the rest of the siblings. But you didn't get that until the father died. That was the custom. You only got that whenever the father and the mother passed on. You got your inheritance. But he comes in a rather brash, and I, I think alienation and estrangement's already working in his heart. Would you give me my portion of my inheritance? And so the father does. He divides his property there, and he says, this is your part. You can take it now. And his older brother, he designated him, this is your part, and you will get it when I die. Not long after that, according to the parable, not long after, remember, he already had these things in his heart. Not long after that, he gathered everything that he had. That's significant. He's making a clean break with everyone. He gathered everything that he had. I can see him putting it all together in a sack, maybe, and putting it on him, and he takes off. And he goes uh, and sets off for not a nearby town, but a distant country. Now, there's some observations here to be made. And the observations, I think, clearly apply to us in the modern world. First of all, he insulted his father. Uh, recently, my father was dividing up some of his belongings. And uh, we decided we wouldn't take ours until uh, he passed away. Because it's not much. I, I, I was getting, should I say it in public, uh, a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun. I said, no, you keep it until, until uh, I'll use it after you've finished with it. Now, he's, he's nine, going to be 97, so I don't think he's going to be using it. <laughs> Nonetheless, I didn't want to receive it until after he had gone. And I thought it might just be, even though he's offering it, it might be an insult. I just didn't want to do it. And that's before I even read again afresh this parable. It was an insult to the father. He was really saying, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You're not going to be in my life anymore. Now, this is a good father. But this young man is so alienated and distorted in his thinking that he decides that he's going to go make it on his own and he goes to a distant place so he can not have anyone watch over his behavior. You know, the city symbolizes that today. Lots of young people like to get out of their home and go to the city, and it's not always for the right reasons. The city is symbolic in Scripture and elsewhere in history as being a place where you can gain anonymity and no restraints upon you. Well, obviously, this demonstrates what is in his heart. And he's going to get in a peck of trouble, to say the least. For he goes off and the economy turns sour. A famine in the land. He wastes all of his money. Earlier in the text, the word bios is used, meaning that he had received his father's life when he got his inheritance. What his father had built up. And now he goes and he squanders it. That's why he's called the prodigal. He squanders everything. He's a wasteful person. Moreover, his behavior sinks to the very bottom. He is destroying himself. He's on a terrible path of destruction. Now remember, this is all of us apart from Christ. 
This is a parable that applies to the whole human race. He's on a path of destruction. He has become, if you will, uh, habitual in his, in his behaviors, uh, even compulsive. And he finds himself, now this is a kosher Jewish young man, serving a Gentile in a far land, and he is feeding an unclean animal the pig. Moreover, things are so bad that he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. It's a, it's, it's a kind of bean thing that, uh, that they ate. Uh, it looks like a green bean, a very big one as a matter of fact, but that's what they were feeding the pigs, and he longed to even eat that, but he was denied that. So here he has insulted everyone, broken relationships, and he sets off to a distant land. And what is going on here? Well, obviously... Obviously, this alienation has grown so much that now his father is dead to him. What he does not realize is that he is dead in his trespasses and sins. Twice in this text, the father talks about his son being dead. And now when he returns, he is alive. He went to a distant land clearly to sow his wild oats. But he ended up, he ended up in terrible straits. Oh, it might not have happened if the famine hadn't hit, but my friend, the famine did. Uh, it might not have happened, I suppose, uh, if he'd found a position and a great place like Joseph did in Egypt, but Joseph was in Egypt, not of his own doing. And notice in the middle of this, deep desperation, the scripture says he came to his senses. He woke up. Now, this is significant. The Holy Spirit has to be working in him now. This is God's loving Holy Spirit. Gives him, if you will, a sense of reality. Reality finally breaks through and he sees what a miserable state he is in. What a miserable state he has made of his life. And notice what he does. He remembers once again his father's house. He came to his senses in verse 17. And what he did was he began to restore himself to sanity through confessing his sins. He said, I have sinned against heaven and against my father. Now, every time you commit a sin, you sin against at least two people. You sin against your neighbor. But in every case, you sin against heaven or the father above. And so he not only came to his senses, that's pretty good theology. He has a breakthrough moment. He begins to see things the way they really are, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He begins to open us up to see things the way they really are. He sins against heaven and against you. He says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to ask him to make me a slave. This is significant. A slave in the house was not a permanent member of the family necessarily. Moreover, they, they, they were not awarded with shoes. Shoes were at a premium, and only the sons and the daughters wore shoes. There wasn't enough to go around in every case. But he did what? Confessed his sin. He got up, and he went. Every person who's come to know Jesus Christ in some way or another has experienced that sequence. You came to your senses, 
you got up and you went to Jesus. I love the hymn that says, I will arise and go to Jesus. He got up after confessing and went home. And here is where the story really gets good as far as I'm concerned. It is the response of the father. Now, I said, I believe you could call this parable not the prodigal son or the lost son, but you could call it the watchful father. Notice what this father is doing. He never, ever forgot his son. I suspect that he prayed for him every day, as well as the memories of his son praying on his mind. It never left him. It never left him. Parents know that in a way that children don't know. Parents understand that in a way that children don't, will not understand until they grow up and become a parent. Always seeking the welfare of the child. Always hoping and praying. And you're happy when your child is happy, aren't you? When you know that everything is right with your child, you say to yourself, this is a good day. This is a good day. But here is, here is the heart of this story. This father refuses alienation and estrangement. Somebody has to be a grown-up once in a while. You cannot do tit for tat. You will find in your life that there'll be times when you say, well, if they're going to reject me, boy, I'm just going to reject them and I'll do it first. What immaturity. Somebody has to be grown up. This father is not only a real man. He represents the love and the grace, the seeking, searching love and grace of God our Father in heaven. Every day it says he is watching, watching, watching for his son. And one day he sees a figure on the horizon coming down the road. And it looks like the figure that walked away. And he thinks it may be his son. He never lost hope. And he does something that no, no father in that day in the Middle East would ever do. He ran to his son. It was an indignity for a, an adult male to run. Only children ran. I don't know, maybe the women, but an adult male did not run. It was an indignity to do such. But here is this father. I can see him just flying as fast as he can to his son, and he throws his arms around him, and he kisses him. Kisses him, my friend. This is the kiss of peace. I accept you back the way you are. The son didn't, ex- didn't ask for this. It was bestowed on him out of the generosity of a loving father. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. In case you missed the message, my friend, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. He sent his son out of his great love for you and for me. He came into our world. He was in our midst. He swept the little children up in his arms. He touched the woman with the issue of blood. He laid his hand on the sick and the infirmed. He welcomed the demonic and cast out the demon. 
He came into the world, the scripture says, to seek and to save the lost. What a marvelous display of God's grace. There is rejoicing in heaven over every sinner who repents. And what does he do? He gets his son home and he clothes him again and puts shoes on his feet and puts a ring on him and accepts him back as a son when he deserved nothing. He had squandered everything. He had hurt people deeply. He had injured them to the core. And here the father throws a party. I can't touch up the last part, but let me say this. Look at the response of the older son. He's a legalist. It's tit for tat for him. He is, if you will, a legalist to the nth degree. He's always keeping score. He never misses a beat. He knows when he is slighted and even perceives slights when they're not there. But he comes back to the house And he hears this celebration, and he refuses to go in. What is the celebration? It is an offer and a sign of God's free grace in Jesus Christ. Look how many times in the New Testament our Lord was at a banquet or at a wedding, or he feasted in fellowship. While he is with us, we must feast, for God lavishes his love and his grace upon us in Jesus Christ. And that is why the banquet, it is a sign of acceptance. There's no grudging on the part of the father, but look at the outside response. He refuses to come in. He does not address his father as father when his father goes to him, goes to him. And he says to him, come on in and rejoice with us. Your brother was lost and now he is found. He was dead, but now he is alive. And he says to him, look, look, I've stayed here. I've done my duty. I will not go in. Well, I hope he made it in. But that's his initial response. My friend, every human being is represented by one of these two brothers. Aren't they? You're either going to say yes to God's favor and grace, or you're going to say no. It's a clear choice. Every Christian who has ever said yes has somewhere come to understand that they must humble themselves like this boy did. Throw himself upon the mercy of the divine love knowing that he deserves none of it. Only to discover that the father had been waiting all that time and looking and running to him. Or you can stand outside. You can say, I refuse the grace of God. I will not go in. I will not celebrate with my brother. I will not be restored to my father or to my brother. You can choose two ways. It takes humility. There is a wonderful Rembrandt painting in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. I've seen pictures of it. I would love to see it in person. It is a picture entitled The Prodigal Son. And Rembrandt has a father standing up and some people surrounding. Maybe, I don't know the interpretation of the picture, 
the painting. Maybe the older brother is standing to the father's left. But here is this tattered, disease-looking individual on his knees before his father. The hair is matted on his head. Obviously, he's diseased. His clothes are in shambles. One foot is bare. The other one might as well be bare. Suing just to be a slave. My friend, God wants to make you a son and a daughter. And that's what the father did. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Grace and forgiveness come through Jesus Christ. I don't know of any other source. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ, but that grace must be received in humility. It takes humility, if you will, to go into the party and to say, I was wrong. I receive your grace. Have you received the grace of God? Have you come to the place in your life truly where you have bowed your knee to him and confessed him as Lord above everything else? Every true Christian has. It's not an easy path. It's a path of tears and confession. It's a path realizing that you are unworthy to receive anything. And yet God in his love bestows upon you in his son, Jesus Christ. This is a parable about the lavishness of God's grace and God's love. My friend, receive Christ in your hearts by faith. Again and fresh today. And confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And with your lips, receive him and walk in him. And celebrate that salvation is in Jesus Christ. Amen.